to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome everyone for joining us on today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Johnny Wool. And a little bit about Johnny, he's the CEO and founder of Homeroom Co-Living, one of the fastest growing co-living companies in the United States. And his love for real estate investing and living with roommates motivated him to start Homeroom in 2017 after an unusually terrible Craigslist roommate experience. In 2020, Homeroom boasted 99% on-time rent payments, full occupancy, and zero evictions. So I'm really curious to hear about your story, Johnny, and how you kind of got into space. So welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So Johnny, can you give us a little bit more about your background, um, who you are, and how you got started in real estate? Yeah, so started right after college. I was living in the Bay Area and couldn't buy my own house. So I figured I'd buy a house out of state. I bought one in Midland, Texas, which is the Permian Basin where Friday Night Lights is based out of, and bought another property a few years later with a self managed IRA. So I've tried that out, which is an interesting experience. In 2015, I was living in San Francisco after working in tech companies and startups. And I just realized it was going to be a while before I was going to be able to buy a property in San Francisco that I really was happy with because the prices were so high. So I moved to Austin and invested in real estate there and rented properties by the room. So I used kind of the experience from investing out of state to help me identify the best market of what I was looking for. And I thought Austin had really nice appreciation potential. And so I did a number of properties there and then moved to Kansas City. And that's kind of where I am today. Started Homeroom based on the concept of what I had sort of pioneered in Austin. Got it. And so how did you find that experience living with other people? And how did you get started with finding the roommates and, you know, that whole interview process and getting your system set up for that? You know, I've lived with roommates. I was looking at it eight, since I was 18. So a couple decades, one year I lived alone. So I've lived with, I think, over 60 roommates in that time. So just sort of an organic process, you know, in college, you find people that you know. After college, you look on Craigslist or Facebook. And so just those experiences are sort of how we figure out how to do it at Homeroom. Obviously, we formalized them quite a bit using background and credit and eviction checks. We do roommate matching and things like that. So that's a bit more sophisticated when you're doing it as like a company and as a job. You take things a little bit more seriously. But yeah, a lot of it's just basically the things that I had been doing for you know, the last couple of decades. Got it. And in the bio, you mentioned a little bit about that terrible Craigslist experience with a roommate. Can you share a little bit about what happened there? Sure. Yeah, I had a roommate that he would kind of feed the cats out in the front of the house. (laughs) And so we had a lot of stray cats kind of all over the place. And then at one point during the summer, so much stray cat hair had gotten in the air conditioning unit that the AC shut down and the landlord was out of town. So we were in like a 110 degree house. And we had neighbors that hated us because we always had cats. So yeah, that was the um, experience that kind of did it for me. And I just thought maybe there's got to be a better way. And that was just sort of, you just met, you meet someone, you're like, they're fine. Kind of bring them in. At Homeroom, we do it a lot more. We do like interviews with our staff and then with the roommates themselves. Then we do that, kind of that background check. And we found that it on, you know, like 99.5% of the time it works. 
when you actually just take the time to screen someone proactively. So Awesome. And so when you have the actual lease in place, do you do the formalized like background checks and then also do the formalized lease or how does that get set up? Pretty close. We do something called a member agreement. So sort of living as a service, you can transition from one of our properties to another one of our properties in our app pretty simply. So it's much more flexible than a lease in that sense, but it's usually signing up for a certain membership term, uh, usually signing up for uh, usually can't just like break it, things like that. So there are some controls in place, but generally we're trying to make it more flexible. Or we do three-month leases, we do 24-month leases, kind of whatever you want, trying to give more options to the tenants. And So you guys pair together roommates, is that correct? Yep, that is correct. What happens in a situation or have you ever experienced a situation where two roommates didn't get along? That happens from time to time. It actually happens much more rarely than you'd expect. I think there's difference between like, this person's kind of annoying me and I'm not, I, you know, I wish I had someone different and like people like really butting heads and like, I can't live with this person. In that case, we have ways of escalating. We'll we actually have a counselor that will do a mediation session with them. And we can, the cool thing about our membership agreement is one of them can transfer to another property. And as long as they're both honoring the member agreement, it's just a personal disagreement, then we'll figure out a way for them to kind of be separate. But it's honestly very, very rare. We've only had to go with use the counselor for mediation twice in uh, over about 450 roommates. And so from a passive or active investing standpoint of things, are you primarily managing all the different leases and the tenants and the residents yourselves? Or do you have a third-party manager to help you with that or another partner? Yeah, we're fully vertically integrated. Co-living is a little different in the sense that the communication has to be a little bit more. You have to think about communicating to everybody and then kind of the dynamic of the roommate. So we didn't want to have another party involved. We definitely lean on services that can help us. Uh, but yeah, we do it in-house. Got it. And so, you know, from today's standpoint versus like how we were in the past, do you see co-living starting to expand more? Is there more of a drive and a more of a demand for it in today's environment? Yeah, absolutely. We, there's a few trends that have been interesting. There's a longer term four decade trend in which 11% of roommates lived with, or 11% of young adults live with roommates in 1980. And then today it's about 26. So that's gradually expanding, kind of driven by delayed marriages, delayed desire for more flexibility, a lot of student debt, unaffordable housing. So all these forces are kind of contributing to creating this new life stage from like 18 to 35, in which a lot of people aren't living with some sort of family, they're living alone or they're living with roommates, or they're living with their parents, but they're not getting married right out of college anymore. So co-living, I think, is the best natural fit for those people. You know, four out of five people actually want to live with other people uh, in that age demographic, which is, I think, surprising because the swanky apartment owned by like the up-and-coming single person seems to be the cool thing to do. But that's not actually what seems to make people the most happy. And they generally seem to want to live with other people, either in their family when they're younger or with their wife and kids. But 20 years to live like alone in an apartment is a long time. It's a long time. And it's not really how humans are supposed to experience their lives. So I think that co-living is, fills that need perfectly. And you know, we've personally seen increased demand 400% since last year, this month. And throughout every month this year has just been like up about 400%. So we continue to see incredible demand in areas that a lot of people wouldn't think that co-living would be needed, which is like rural, some parts of Kansas, like Olathe, Kansas, we have properties and they get pre-booked before they're even uh, launched. 
So talking about the demand of where people are looking for, which kind of areas do you see the highest demand in terms of like neighborhoods or is it closer to like universities, downtown areas? Which are the areas do you see mostly that there's more of a demand for it? Yeah, I I think there's enough demand for a number of properties in most neighborhoods in in a metro. So there's not, people do like to live near universities. People like to live near jobs, of course. But we have houses sprinkled throughout the Kansas City metro with it's like a 50 mile radius. Um, and pretty much no matter where we put them, they fill up. So the demand's pretty universal. I would say that definitely it's higher the more dense the neighborhood is. Um, so that's, but it doesn't mean that there's not enough demand in less dense areas. It just may take, instead of like 10 days to fill the house, it may take 20 days. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Got it. So when a resident comes and now you've paired them with another roommate, how are the costs being split? Is it a one fee between, or is it one rental that's all inclusive or are they splitting up utilities amongst themselves? How does that part work out? Yeah, it's, it's one fee all inclusive, correct. Yeah, the, the inclusive comes with main service yard care, community events, as well as all the utilities. We have the fast internet that they have available. That's what we get, so. So how are people finding out about these co-living spaces and how are people finding out about it? And like, how are they searching for you guys? Yeah, it's, we find, we kind of try to put ourselves in front of them um, on Craigslist, Facebook, Facebook marketplace. There's some roommate matching apps we'll, we'll work with. Obviously there's our website. So we do have you know, a number of people come. We actually have about 50% of the people that about 50% of our applications last month were actually from referrals. So we have a lot of people will say, Hey, I found this uh, co-living thing. I, you should come check it out. So that ends up, that's kind of grown over time to be one of the larger ways we get tenants. Is there a specific property that you guys look for when thinking about co-living spaces? Yeah, that's very important for the type of co-living you're doing. We're focused on single family rentals and we're looking for definitely, we're looking for four or more bedrooms. We also need good parking, a good access to shared shower spaces and some common areas. And so those are kind of the broad strokes of what we're looking for. And then behind that, more importantly to the investor, we're looking for B-type neighborhoods that are going to have higher appreciation potential than like a high crime C neighborhood. We generally think that that is a bit of a value trap for investors. They chase super high cash yields into these neighborhoods in which the paper returns never materialize and then the appreciation doesn't either. And then they end up like kind of wasting away with an investment. So we generally are pushing folks like slightly nicer areas. The, the top end of rental grade is a nice B neighborhood and Appreciation is almost guaranteed in those places. So that's where we uh, generally have our properties. And so especially during the pandemic, when meeting with strangers and like co-living, 
or like uh, social interactions were limited. Did you guys see any, I guess, decrease in demand for it? And how did co-living fare during this time? Yeah, I mean, I think it was different. There's a number of different co-living operators. And it really just depended on which stage each of them was at, as well as like kind of the way that they were doing things. Um, we had actually set up fully remote leasing in 2019. So we were doing no in-person tours. It was all virtual virtual tours versus through a Matterport. And we were doing like a video call and kind of describing it. And then about 80% of people are leasing with us uh, fully remotely. So when the pandemic hit, we were actually in a position where we were okay with leasing. The average age of our tenants was like 27. So it was a population that wasn't there. Everyone was worried, but they weren't as worried as other populations. So we actually had no vacancy for like six months. We got totally full. Then we started to like add more houses. And then we expanded to Dallas all like within like the first eight months of kind of the pandemic. Got it. And in terms of vacancy, what is typically like a break even uh, vacancy number for you guys? For us, we just need, I'd say, four out of six of the rooms need to be filled. Got it. And so now, especially during the pandemic, you said the vacancies were all filled up. And then now you're still seeing the demand continue to grow even after COVID. Yeah, it's gotten, I would say that it's, it was, it's gotten much, much, it's been very intense over the last uh, six weeks. Got it. Yeah. And then for you, Johnny, what's next for you? And what are you planning to do with the company and for yourselves on your next venture? Well, I mean, I think we're still probably about uh, 50% of the way through here or less. So I haven't really thought about what's next, maybe a vacation. But yeah, just uh, trying to figure out how to do co-living. It's it's an interesting model and there's a lot of pieces. And so we have a lot left to go here. But the goal, you know, the goal is eventually to take the company public. Got it. So actually, I'd like to ask you, you know, for the co-living, when you guys purchase property, like what's typically from an investment time period, do you guys hold this for? Is it a long-term hold or is it, do you guys plan to exit within a couple of years? Um, what's that strategy there? Yeah. Hold forever is typically our strategy. Yeah. Got it. And so Johnny, I'd love to ask you, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been, it's uh, helped me be experience new places and new people. And so I, I love it. Help investing in real estate has helped me start a business because I was able to sell a couple of the properties I invested in and and kind of get this company started. So yeah, it's been um it's been wonderful. I love it. I think it's the best asset class. And I'm always like, I do think that I have a different approach. I generally like appreciation equity focused type options, but I still think even if that's even if you're not looking for passive income to have a to not have to worry about paying for your life, like you can have a much more rich life by real estate investing, making a hundred thousand dollars from a sale and then, or a refinance and then use that money to build business or, you know, or build a new home. It's a really cool asset to, to do new things with your life. And so what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I think don't chase yield. <laughs> don't chase yield in rural or bad areas. I think that's the only mistake, I guess I've gotten kind of lucky, but the only mistake properties I've purchased have been the ones where I'm like, you know, I really want like one, the one point, I want 1.3% rent, or I want the cap rate that's at the very top because, you know, in our minds, I think we generally think like higher numbers always equal better. But I think we forget that like the whole ROI package is like 20% return or 25% return. And 
and cash flow may only be like 7% of that or six or 10 or whatever, but it's not really worth risking that whole 25% for a small fraction. And if that 7% or 8% return versus nine or 10, and you have a better shot at the whole, like the whole real estate return portfolio working better, I would always pick that now. So that would be, I think the biggest thing I would probably tell myself. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? Uh, I guess determination and kind of hunger. I, I don't know if there's one thing. I, I think Isaac's, I've had, I've done well because I'm a finance person. I do a lot of numbers, analytics and economics, analytics, all that. But some people do super well just by being the opposite, being very charismatic. And so I don't know if there's any one formula to being successful, but I do think everyone is working really hard and digging deeper than like the nine other people that aren't really having that much success. And do you have any tools or techniques that you can share with us today that you've used to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've leveraged, and I don't think this is super new, but we've kind of leveraged at Homeroom is using a global team to kind of support the company. So we have a team in the Philippines, a team in Venezuela, a team in Pakistan. And so it allows us to work kind of 24 seven for one. And so, but additionally, things that are a heavy lift for somebody in the US may be easy for someone in the Philippines and vice versa. So it's just allowed, and I, I use it in my personal life as well, is allowed us to, you know, we have a small team, but we're able to manage 380 units across 23 cities, right? With a team of two operations people, essentially in the US. So I think that's really powerful is understanding how to leverage your own capacity and maybe bring in people that can help you. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Johnny. Yeah. And so if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you're doing with co-living in your company, where is the best place that they can go? Yeah, they can find me on livehomeroom.com and reach me at johnny at livehomeroom.com. I do my best to get through all my emails every day not typically successful, <laughs> but uh, if someone asks me about co-living, um, if they heard me on a podcast, I, I make sure I get back to those people. So happy to talk to anyone about what we're doing or any innovative single family real estate strategies. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Johnny, for coming on the show. I really appreciate you sharing yeah. about your journey and how you got started with co-living and what you're doing in this space. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed being here. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.